We can do that, right? <laughs> 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 Amen. This I have. Um, I was very encouraged by Luke 12, and I, I pray that you guys are this week as well. Let's read. <clears throat> In the meantime, In the meantime, when an innumerable multitude of people had gathered together so that they trampled one another, he began to say to his disciples, first of all, beware of, of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There's nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you've spoken in the ear and inner rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. And I say to you, my friends, don't be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that have, have no more that they can do. But I'll show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins? And not one of them is forgotten before God. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't fear, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. Also I say to you, whoever confesses me before men, him the Son of Man will also, also will confess before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But to him who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven. And when they bring you to the synagogues and magistrates and authorities, don't worry about how or what you should answer or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Then one from the crowd said to him, teach Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. He said to him, Man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Then, then he spoke a parable to them, saying, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, what, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I'll, I'll pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will store all my crops and my goods. And, and I'll say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. God said to him, Fool! This night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and isn't rich 
toward God. Then he said to his disciples, Therefore, I say to you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat, or nor about the body, what you'll put on. See, life is more than food, and, and the body's more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which have neither storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature, if you then are not able to do the least? Why are you anxious for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory, it wasn't wasn't dressed, he wasn't arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothes the grass, which today is in the field and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. And don't seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. All these things the nations of the world seek after. And your father knows you need these things. But seek God's kingdom. Seek the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added to you. Don't fear, little flock. For it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell what you have and give Give alms. Provide yourselves money bags which don't grow old. A treasure in the heavens that doesn't fail where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let your waist be girded and your lamps burning. And you yourselves be like men who wait for their master when he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. Assuredly, I say to you that he will gird himself and have them sit down to eat and will come and serve them. And if he should come in the the second watch or, or come in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore... You also be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour where you don't expect. And Peter said to him, Lord, do you speak this parable only to us or to all people? And the Lord said, Who then, who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his master will make ruler over his household to give them their portion of food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all that he has. But if that servant says in his heart, My master is delaying his coming and begins to beat male and female servants and to eat and and drink and be drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and an hour when he is not aware and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant who knew his master's will and didn't prepare himself or do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. But he who did not know, yet committed things deserving of stripes, shall be beaten with few. For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed of him, they will ask the more. I came to send fire on the earth. Now I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how distressed I am. 
until it is accomplished. Do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? I tell you, not at all, but rather division. For from now on, five in one house will be divided, three against two, and two against three. Father will be divided against son, and son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Then he also said to the multitudes, whenever you see a cloud rising out of the west, immediately you say, a shower is coming, and so it is. When you see the south wind blow, you say, there will be hot weather, and there is. Hypocrites. You can discern the face of the sky and of the earth, but how is it you don't discern this time? Yes. And why, even of yourselves, do you not judge what is right? When you go with your adversary to the magistrate, make every effort along the way <coughs> to settle with him, lest he drag you to the judge. The judge deliver you to the officer, and the officer throw you into prison. I tell you, you shall not depart from there till you have paid the very last might. Well then. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we have much to discuss. Maybe I ought to say much that we need to hear. We have given so much time, energy, so much of our hearts to ideas perpetuated by those who do not know you and who have not heard your voice and who therefore cannot even see your kingdom. And many of us suffer great neurosis because of it. My Father, oh my Father, let us hear your voice, I pray. Speak. Would you please do it in Jesus' name? the end of the last chapter we read that uh, the scribes and the Pharisees uh, began to assail him vehemently and to cross-examine Jesus lying in wait for him. Remember they had attributed uh, much of Jesus' ministry uh, not to God's spirit but instead they had attributed much of Jesus' ministry in particular his casting out of demons that particularly miraculous event Uh, this happened right after the casting out of a mute spirit But uh, anyhow, they began to attribute the power that Jesus was doing, the things he was doing, not to God's spirit, but instead to the spirit, uh, to the devil, right? To an evil spirit, right? They called him Beelzebub. And they said it's by the power of Beelzebub or Beelzebul, which is uh, a word that means Lord of the Flies, if you remember that book from uh, William Golding. But uh, anyway, so... Uh, that's who they said Jesus was casting out these demons with, with the power of, with the power of the devil. Okay? Now, that event, that idea is uh, something that, and, and we see it a little bit more clearly in, in the other gospel um, writers, but that idea of attributing Jesus' ministry and the, the, really the ministry of the Holy Spirit through the life of Jesus 
attributing that to not to God's spirit, but instead to uh, a demonic spirit, uh, was itself blasphemy against God's spirit. And so Jesus pronounced judgment on that generation, on that nation of Jews who were doing that very thing. They were blaspheming God's spirit. And we see a little bit of that mentioned here uh, when Jesus says that if you blaspheme the Son, you'll be forgiven, but not if you blaspheme the Spirit. Um, we see that mentioned here directly. And Jesus pronounces judgment on that generation within 40 years. When we get to the end of the chapter, I'm going to suggest to you that uh, a very direct, specific application of what Jesus says at the very end of the chapter has little to do with you. <laughs> and, and a lot to do with the, the, the hearers in the first century, okay? Uh, now, we can draw application from it, right? But uh, it has more to do with, with what was happening and was going to happen with them. And I think that's, uh, I think it's important for us to remember that. Um, so the uh, religious leaders are beginning to turn away. They're, they've rejected Jesus' ministry as a whole. Okay, he's this traveling rabbi. They've been hearing all this stuff about him, and they have essentially rejected him and said that he was doing the things he was doing, not by God's spirit, but by uh, by the devil, by um, uh, Beelzebub, the Lord of the Flies. So now, chapter 12, verse 1. In the meantime, when an innumerable multitude of people had gathered together so that they trampled one another. That's a lot of people, right? That still happens, right? When lots of people get together, sometimes they trample each other uh, when there are crowds of people. Now, he began to say to his disciples, first of all, as he sees these crowds of people gathering together so much so that they trample each other, he turns and he begins to say something to his disciples. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Leaven is yeast, right? Yeast, that um, the thing we put into uh, bread that uh, causes the uh, reactions that cause it to rise, right? So, um, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. And this is a way that Jesus would talk about the teaching of uh, the false teachers, or the teaching of the Pharisees. Uh, he would refer to it as uh, leaven, their doctrine. He'd refer to it as leaven. Here he identifies specifically the issue of hypocrisy. I mentioned to you guys last week that when I was teaching my kids about hypocrisy, I was like, the word, the Greek word here for um, hypocrite or hypocrisy, the Greek word is an actor. That's what hypocrite is, the, an actor in a theater. Um, and it gives us a very, that because Jesus used that word, it helps us to understand what he means. He means somebody that's pretending to be something they're not, right? So uh, that's the idea, somebody who is pretending. Um, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you have spoken in the ear in inner rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. Here's the thing. It doesn't matter if, if the Pharisees are saying or acting one particular way. Because of them being hypocrites, because of their hypocrisy, the reality is what they truly are deep inside that's going to be exposed. They're just pretending to be something that they're not. They're pretending to be uh, spiritual. They're pretending to be people who know God and, and have this uh, vibrant, good relationship to God. But the reality is they're pretending. And Jesus identified that. And then he gives this really, I can't hear this in anything except as, as a kind of a terrifying warning, right? If you're pretending to follow Jesus, this next part here should scare you, right? And not just that, but the reality is that in any area of my life, if I'm pretending and hiding things, if I'm different, um, 
in, in one particular way, or when I'm by myself, or when I'm just with my, my, my spouse and my kids than I am with anyone else, then these verses can be a little scary, right? <laughs> There's nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you've spoken in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you've spoken in the ear and inner rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. See? Hypocrites keep being hypocrites because they think they can get away with acting. And Jesus just flat out says you can't. All of your secrets will one day be exposed. Rejoice. <laughs> Walk in the light as he is in the light. Renounce the hidden things of darkness. If you've sinned, confess your sin. Don't hide it. Because God loves you, He'll bring it into the light sooner or later. But if you are only wanting to pretend, I hope this terrifies you and brings you to repentance. Because <laughs> you can't pretend, not with God. My kids might trick me, they might tell me they brushed their teeth and they didn't really brush their teeth. <laughs> but they can't trick they can't trick the Lord. <laughs> he knows. <laughs> also, on the other side of this, if someone has done something to you and it has been hidden. I want you to remember that he makes all things right. He is a just judge. He is good. <clears throat> and if someone has hurt you, or violated you, and it is a secret that he knows it, and the person who has done such will face him. Even if they try to hide it forever. It cannot be hidden. I say to you, my friends, verse 4, I say to you, my friends, don't be afraid of those who kill the body. And after that, have no more that they can do. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> Wait a minute. So, like, if we are to hear the words of Jesus and to believe him, then we must at once understand that Jesus teaches us a, um, I think in a, in a more modern philosophical sense, uh, and not just modern, really ancient philosophical sense, Jesus teaches us this idea and reinforces for us this idea that has come to be known as dualism that humans, people, are not simply their bodies. That would be monism, right? Um, 
and and that idea, monism, is embraced by many people in um, in uh, many communities. That you are simply your brain, and you are nothing else, such that uh, when your brain stops functioning, you no longer exist. That's the idea of of uh, monism. But Jesus teaches us certainly here, as well as many other places. Uh, at the very bottom, the idea of dualism, that you have a body, but you are not your body. Otherwise, what he says here couldn't be true, right? It wouldn't make any sense for him to say what he says here. Don't be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that can't do anything, right? If all you are is a body, if all you are is a brain, and your existence, what it means to be you, if all that is, is in your brain, is your brain itself, is the matter and the the electrical forces uh, flowing through that and, and the chemicals involved in it. Um, if all you are are those particles, if all you are is, is um, material particulate, okay, then Jesus saying, don't be afraid of the person who kills your body, who can only kill your body, but after that can't do anything else, that doesn't make any sense, right? If that's all you are, then you should be afraid of that person, Right? Because that's all you are. And once those uh, particles that you call your brain stop functioning together the way that they are now, then you are no longer you. Those particles become dust again and form into something else eventually. But that's not true. So then we are challenged as to whether or not we will believe in many ways, a, a somewhat predominant view uh, in some fields. Or whether we believe the words of Jesus. Because here, at once, they are, uh, they are contrary to one another. My friends, don't be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have no more that they can do. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has power to cast into, has power to cast into Gehenna. Remember that, uh, the word that we have translated hell frequently is a word that refers to, very specifically, to the valley um, outside of the city of Jerusalem where they would burn the trash. It was a burning trash dump. And if that doesn't terrify you, then I don't know what other word pictures you need to have thrown at you to get you to see that that's a bad place. (laughs) Right? That's not the place you, you want to go, whatever sense that means, to have your you, your, your essence, your, your uh, personality, who, who you are, to, to, be thrown into, to be thrown into the burning trash dump outside of the city, right? Now, imagine, if you would, if you remember, the revelation, the end of the revelation, the new Jerusalem. There's a city of God. Those, there are those who are outside. And that's not where you want to be. <laughs> they will have their part of the lake of fire, John describes in the Revelation. I will show you who you should fear. Fear him who after he has killed has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. Now if this was, again, in reference only to the physical suffering of a, of a body and its consumption... Um, then really the first statement would have would have um, done away with that after that they have no more they can do so whatever this 
judgment is. Uh, that is, um, um, that we own <clears throat> after he has killed this power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. <laughs> Whatever that um, judgment looks like. And I'll let God sort that out. it ought to be more terrifying to us than just physical death. Which is, in my opinion, one of the reasons why the idea of of um, monism or just uh, suggesting that we are not spiritual beings apart from a body. Uh, why that teaching, that idea, um, I think, can be very destructive to people. Because if I believe that to be true, then my decisions will be based around that idea. However, if I believe that, if I believe um, rather that uh, I am more than just my body, that there's something beyond that, then uh, there's a lot of results, resulting views that then can come from that and resulting choices in the way that I use my life and my body. And also the hope, then, that I have um, that, uh, that goes beyond this body dying, which is a hope, uh, I think, uh, in many ways peculiar. There is a peculiar hope to Christian faith uh, in what Jesus taught us and demonstrated. But Jesus said, yes, I say to you, fear him. Not the one who can just kill your body, but the one who, after he's killed you, your body and then throw you into the fire. <laughs> fear, fear that one, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, our God is an all-consuming fire. <laughs> the fact that he has said to you that you could approach him as father ought to become for you a cherished gift. But this, this perfect and holy and good being has accepted you in the beloved because of Jesus and said to you, I want you to talk to me. I want you to come to me. I want you you to have an intimate relationship with me. Jesus continues, and if we don't, we won't finish. Are not five sparrows sold for two (laughs) copper coins? (laughs) These copper coins are asarions. Uh, it's worth about one sixteenth of a denarius. And again, if we use one of Jesus' um, stories or a couple of them as uh, an idea to give us what a denarius about what a denarius is worth, Jesus, uh, it was seen as a in, in a couple of Jesus' parables, it was seen as a a good amount for a day's work for a day's wage. A denarius was so uh, one sixteenth was uh, think of it maybe in common terms if you work an eight hour day about had half hour pay, right? It ain't much. <laughs> okay? A half hour of pain. Are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins, and not one of them is forgotten before God? Not one of them is forgotten before God. Not one of the sparrows sold for two copper coins is forgotten. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't fear, therefore. 
you are of more value than many sparrows. At least seven, some of you. sparrows sold for two copper coins for this little amount and not one of them is forgotten before God do you think you've forgotten you're not but the very hairs of your head they're all numbered the things that you pull out when you brush it each one has its number and God knows or that you rip out with your flat iron <laughs> the very hairs of your head are all numbered don't fear therefore because that is true Jesus says to you if you hear his voice do not fear don't be afraid You are of more value than many sparrows. Also I say to you, whoever confesses me before men, him the Son of Man will also confess before the angels of God. This external witness or testimony of Jesus, but he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him, but to him who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven. Do you remember what I mentioned to you earlier? And we find it, um, specifically given to us in uh, the other gospel. Um, gospel writers uh, record for us Jesus um, talking about this issue, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, uh, right after his ministry is attributed to uh, the power of the devil, to Beelzebub. It happens right then. <clears throat> Him who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. I know that sometimes people get frightened. They try and wonder what exactly does that mean and what does it look like now for us. Um, uh, and, and again, I would have to say that uh, certainly it would be uh, what it is would blaspheme the ministry of Jesus. It's not forgiven. We blaspheme the Holy Spirit. It will not be forgiven. Well then, well then what if I want to believe him and I want to be saved? Well, then you're not blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Like, you, you saying, I, I want to trust him. I, I believe who he is and what he's done. That I believe that he is the Lord. He is the Messiah, right? That would, that would uh, certainly um, be you not blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Anyone who speaks a, a word against the Son of Man, as we read, will be forgiven. Not the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And they bring you to the synagogues and magistrates and authorities don't worry about how or what you should answer remember he's speaking to his disciples this little section here remember he turned to his disciples and said this to them first of all Luke records for us when they bring you into the synagogues and magistrates and authorities don't worry about how or what you should answer or what you should say for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say now now this doesn't mean that past, you know, if you're regularly involved in teaching ministry or, or if you're teaching your children that you shouldn't uh, be learning and you shouldn't be uh, spending time invested in the scriptures. In fact, you ought to. You should. You must 
spend time in the scriptures studying and learning that you would, would be able to be equipped to teach others. But uh, what this is certainly revealing to the disciples and therefore also to us is that they ought to be able to depend on God's spirit to be present with them always. And that itself is a precious gift. You've got to remember, you, if you've been a part of the church for any length of time and, and you've come to understand this idea of, of the Messiah, of God being with you, of Jesus being the Emmanuel, God with us, of God giving you his spirit when you trust him, that God comes to live with you and in you, that he, he gives you strength to obey him and to trust him. You, you take that for granted. I'm just telling you now. You take that idea for granted. Okay? These disciples didn't have that concept. God's spirit only came upon particular people throughout the Old Testament writings. Prophets, priests, and kings, really. So now Jesus saying to them, Hey guys, don't worry about what you're going to say or how you're going to say it. You're going to, trouble's coming. I mean, this is another warning of that. You're going to be, trouble's going to come. Okay? But don't, you don't have to worry about it because God is with you. Who? The Holy Spirit will be present with you. That's, that's the gift. In fact, later on when we get to the book of Acts, that's the thing that's going to be spoken of as the way that they knew that the, the Samaritans were accepted by God and the way that they knew the Gentiles were accepted by God was because God gave to them the same gift he gave to the Jewish believers and it was the promise of the Holy Spirit given to them because they had received God's Spirit and it was evident through the signs of the Spirit that they had received God's Spirit. Um, that's how they knew that God had accepted them, accepted the Samaritans and accepted uh, the non-Jews, the Gentiles, into uh, into the body, into the church. Okay, the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Verse thirteen says this, but oh, we need to speed up. Don't we? Then one from the crowd said to him, "Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me." But he said to him, uh, "Man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you?" This is a, a very common, practical sort of issue. But this guy sees Jesus and sees the authority with which Jesus is speaking and teaching, and apparently he wants him to handle this private matter between him and his brother. Um, Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Uh, It would have been the responsibility of the firstborn, of the older brother, to do this. Uh, His responsibility in the family, one of his responsibilities would have been to divide the inheritance, his father's inheritance amongst his his relatives. Um, But Jesus responds, his man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? But... He, he, doesn't, he doesn't divide it for him. He doesn't tell the guy how to figure out this issue that he was upset about, which, by the way, sometimes Jesus doesn't tell you how to deal with some thing that you're trying to figure out, like, you know, I don't know, what car to buy or something. Maybe, you know, you can make a choice about that, and, and he'll, he'll be with you, <laughs> okay? <laughs> um, sometimes maybe he doesn't, doesn't do that in, in the way that, uh, that sometimes we might expect. Uh, he didn't handle this issue the way that this guy wanted him to. Uh, he just said, who made me a judge? or Who, who put me in this position over you? He, he wasn't in this, uh, this position over them uh, to settle this issue. Uh, but he said to them, he takes this now as an opportunity to deal with the real heart issue in this guy. Right? I'm not going to really handle your thing, but I am going to handle your heart. <laughs> right? I like that. <laughs> He's like, I'm not... I'm not really in a position to be the judge or arbitrator over this family matter of, of distributing the inheritance, uh, but I do see something in your heart I want to address because you brought this question to me. 
he said to them, take heed and beware of covetousness. To covet something is to want something that isn't yours. <laughs> right? To want something that belongs to someone else. That's covetousness. Certainly, it's one of the defining characteristics of American culture. <laughs> we are coveters. We want the newest, the coolest. We just want everything. <laughs> whether it's cars or clothes, uh, whether it's food, whether it's, I don't know, movies and video games and the latest technologies. We just covet so much. <laughs> <clears throat> take heed and beware of covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses wait a minute no, I, I need you to hear that again take heed and beware of covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses then he spoke a parable to them saying the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully and he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I'll save my soul. Soul? If you don't talk to your soul this way, you need to learn to. <laughs> and I'll say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. God said to him, Fool. This night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you've provided? In warning against covetousness, Jesus uses this parable and he says, think about this guy. He's given a lot of, a lot of stuff. I, I don't like to use the word blessing when we're thinking of having a lot of stuff. I think that's such a horrible colloquialism that we do that. We say, this is blessed with something when you have lots of it. What? That's not a biblical, really, really biblical concept, right? But anyways. Um, uh, that's what we say. Anyways. Uh, he has a lot, and so he says, I'm going to tear down my little barns, I'm going to build bigger ones so I can keep it, so I can store it up. And then I'll say to my soul, you have a lot of stuff, just chill. Right? Just relax. That's what, uh, as I'm getting older, I'm seeing more people thinking about and looking at this idea of um, how they can retire and how they can retire quickly and how they can set themselves up so they can retire faster and all of this stuff because they just want to eat, drink, and be merry. said to him, fool this night, your soul will be required of you. Like, <laughs> God said to him, fool. <sighs> A couple of things I want to mention. One is this. Jesus is not teaching us that we shouldn't be wise with money. He isn't teaching us that it's wrong to save money. He's not teaching us that it's wrong to save for our children. He's not saying any of that. What he's doing is warning us against covetousness. 
that's the issue here. So if somebody tries to take this and say that you shouldn't, you know, help your children financially or, or you know, have a, a 401k or some nonsense like that, that, that's really just not what he's saying. He is saying you shouldn't trust in those things. He is saying that if you just want to covet and get more and more and more for yourself, remember that tomorrow you die. <laughs> and you don't know when that tomorrow is. So you might just be storing up all of this stuff to enjoy none of it. But there is something else you can do. And this is uh, where he's bringing us. So verse 21 is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. You can be rich toward God by seeking his kingdom first, by pursuing him, by valuing the things that he values. Not more than more than the material things around you. Your life doesn't consist uh, in the abundance of the things you possess. In fact, for many people, because of the abundance of what they possess, their possessions, in fact, possess them. Many people don't own things; their things own them. Their things dictate to them how they spend their time, what they focus on, how they spend their extra money. The things that they own dictate that rather than God's kingdom. And that's the place Jesus would rescue us from, that prison of covetousness. Then he said to his disciples, verse 22, Therefore, I say to you, don't worry about your life. Because that's true. Because tomorrow you die. (laughs) Jesus said, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat, nor about the body, what you'll put on. I just want you to listen. I I don't know how to say this. Would you guys listen? This is the words of Jesus. This isn't your friend on Facebook telling you what he thinks you need to know for life. This is God in a human body, incarnate, saying, this is true. And I want you to hear him. Therefore I say to you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat, nor about the body, what you'll put on. Life is more than food. And the body's more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which have neither storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them. How much more value are you than the birds? Jesus' illustration here is shocking, because he says, and and grating against our um, work ethic attitude, that says, uh, if you don't work, you don't eat, which, by the way, is uh, in the scriptures. (laughs) And we'll get to to why that's there and and certainly what it means at another time. But what Jesus is teaching us here is that we can trust the Father beyond all of that. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? If you then are not able to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these, wasn't clothed like one of these. If then God so clothes the grass, which today is in the field and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And don't seek. Don't seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. I'm sorry, I feel like I need to read it again. 
Don't seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. For all these things the nations of the world seek after. And your Father knows that you need these things. But seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. The food you need, the drink you need, the clothes that you need, God will provide. Seek His kingdom first. Seek the kingdom of God. And so I ask you, before we move to the next couple of verses here, what does it mean to seek the kingdom of God? What is God's kingdom? I want to read to you really quickly from Romans 14. Um, Paul says this, Receive one who is weak in faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he was weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who uh, eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. Who are you to judge another's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day above another, another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord, and he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he doesn't observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. He who does not eat, to the Lord he doesn't eat, and gives God thanks. For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. <coughs> For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we're the Lord's. For to this end, the Messiah died and rose again and lived, rose and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. Why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of the Messiah. For it's written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus there's nothing unclean of itself. But to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Don't destroy with your food the one for whom the Messiah died. Therefore, don't let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves the Messiah in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Paul says the kingdom of God isn't eating and drinking. It is righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. Seek the kingdom of God. If you examine your life and the choices that you are making day by day, think about what you plan to do tomorrow or the next day or next week. Do they revolve around this idea of seeking first the kingdom? The way that we spend our downtime, is it settled firmly in the idea that I'm seeking his kingdom first? The way that I spend my day each day, 
is it settled in this idea of seeking his kingdom first? To what am I giving preeminence? There is nothing wrong with many of the other things that we choose to do. In fact, many of them can be part of pursuing God's kingdom. I hope they are. But what is first? What is preeminent? Um, last couple of things here. Seek, verse 31 says, but seek the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added to you. Verse 32, I just want you to let these words sink down into your ears. And please remember that this is, this is not some famous theologian on Twitter. This is not just my voice. These are, in truth, the words of Jesus. This is God speaking to you. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. See, if that's true, then I can do the next thing he says. Sell what you have and give to the poor. That's what alms is. It's given to the poor. I know that sometimes we have this idea, particularly as churches, we have this idea that if we're going to be giving or serving the poor, we've got to always couple it with some spiritual type of, we've got to have a spiritual return on that investment, I think is the way it's thought of. Jesus just says, do good. (laughs) Just give to the poor. couple of reasons why I think that's true. One, one reason is that Jesus just really cares for people and he blesses the, the good and the evil. He blesses the rich and the poor. <laughs> and you can be a part of that. <laughs> right? That's one reason. Another reason, you need to share because you are covetous. And the way that you fight covetousness in your heart, the primary way is by giving away what you have. By doing the exact opposite of the things that (coughs) grip you. And Jesus wants you and he wants me to be free. I need to give. (laughs) I need to give to the poor. Sell what you have and give alms. Provide yourselves money bags which don't grow old. (laughs) You want to be a money bags? (laughs) Provide money bags for yourselves that don't grow old. How do I do that? By giving away what you have. (laughs) By seeking his kingdom first. Provide yourselves money bags which don't grow old. A treasure in the heavens that doesn't fail where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's no wonder then that so many of us find it so difficult to focus on God's kingdom because our investment is elsewhere. 
We have invested so much of our money and so much of our time and our energy in all of these other temporary things. It is no wonder then that our heart follows those things rather than God's kingdom first. (laughs) And I say this uh, not to rebuke any of you. I say this because I need to hear it. (laughs) Because it rebukes me. Be ready. The last couple of sections here are about readiness. Let your waist be girded and your lamps burning. And you yourselves be like men who wait for their master when he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, they may be open, they may open to him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. Assuredly, I say to you that he will gird himself and have them sit down to eat and will come and serve them. And if he should come in the second watch or come in the third watch, this is, these are different times at night. If he comes in the second watch or the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. That's a parable that illustrates this idea of watching to be ready, right? So watch to be ready for the coming of the master because you don't know when he's coming. And imagine this situation. If the master of a house had known the hour the thief would come, he'd have watched, right? If somebody's like, hey, I'm going to rob your house at 12 o'clock tonight. Are you going to be ready for him or are you not? Right? Well, you're going to be ready because you know when he's coming, right? <laughs> also, that guy's a real dumb criminal. But, um, <laughs> um, he would have watched and not allowed his, his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And the Lord said, continuing, or sorry, verse 41, Then Peter said to him, Lord, do you speak this parable only to us or to all people? And the Lord said, verse 42, When, who then? <laughs> I will learn how to speak one day, I promise. The Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his master will make ruler over his household? Listen to the words of Jesus. What does it mean to seek his kingdom first? What kingdom are you after? Look at how he's describing this. Be ready because something's coming. Who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his master will make ruler over his household to give them their portion of food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all that he has. But if that servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and be drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he's not looking for him and an hour when he's not aware and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. This is not Jesus saying that if you're not ready for him when he comes, you're going to lose your salvation. This is one of the things people do with parables. He's teaching us, using an illustration here. And in his illustration... Obviously, the consequences of not being ready are detrimental. That's the idea. You're, you don't want to be in that category of people who aren't ready, who aren't watching. <clears throat> he continues, again, with this idea of, of wanting to be in the category of people who are ready. And that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. But he who did not know yet committed things deserving of stripes shall be beaten with few For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. To whom much has been committed of him, they will ask the more. You, dear 21st century Christian, to you much has been given. And Jesus' warning of the consequences of that, I think we ought to take to heart. Of him they will ask the more. 
I came to send fire on the earth and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to be baptized with and how distressed I am till it is accomplished. This is Jesus t- talking about his, his coming death. Do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? I tell you not at all, but rather division. This isn't a contradiction to the promise of Jesus, uh, of Jesus' birth, right? Peace on earth, goodwill toward men, right? It's not a contradiction of that by any means. Jesus is speaking of the reality of his coming. Because he has come, peace has been offered to humanity, and those who enter in, enter in, and find peace and rest in him, and in his eternal kingdom. That's absolutely true. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. God is ready to receive sinners because of the blood of Jesus. But it's also true that those who embrace him will find that they will be rejected, sometimes even by family members, because they have decided to follow Jesus. And in that sense, for those who follow him, sometimes other people have no peace with you. I tell you, not at all, but rather division. He speaks of that now. For from now on, five in one house will be divided. Three against two and two against three. Father will be divided against son and son against father. Mother against daughter and daughter against mother. Mother Mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Many of these Jews hearing these words found that very thing to be true. When they believed, they were rejected by their families and others. In fact, it still happens in many communities even today. Then he also said to the multitudes, whenever you see a cloud rising out of the west, immediately you say a shower is coming. So it is. Good forecasters. When you see the south wind blow, you say there will be hot weather. And there is. Hypocrites. You can discern the face. You can discern the face of the sky and of the earth. But how is it that you do not discern this time? And I say to you that this last warning is very directly for his hearers in that first century. Yes, and why even of yourselves do you not judge what is right? When you go with your adversary to the magistrate, make every effort along the way to settle with him, lest he drag you to the judge. The judge deliver you to the officer, and the officer throw you into prison. I tell you, you shall not depart from there till you have paid the very last month. Israel needs to settle accounts with God. Never forget that Jesus is a prophet of Israel. He is their Messiah, shared with us. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) But Jesus gives them warning again. Judgment is coming on the nation. There is a way of escape for them. Those Jews who believe in their Messiah, trust in Jesus, many of them found escape from that coming judgment that happened. in uh, AD 70. Certainly there's application in that for us as well. (laughs) For any who hear this. Get right with God. I want to close with this idea. Look at that. Almost right on time. I want to close with this idea. I want to read to you a few different verses 
because I want to give you, I want it to be firmly in your minds that the believers in the first century were expecting the return of Jesus. It's something that's referred to over and over and over and over again. Jesus warns us here in in Luke 12 that we ought to be ready. Um, one of them in particular is this Colossians 3, 4 in one of Paul's letters when the Messiah who is our life appears then you also will appear with him in glory so he's talking about future time and he says when the Messiah appears you also will appear with him in glory 1 Timothy 6.14 says that you keep this commandment without spot, blameless until our Lord Jesus the Messiah's appearing. Paul's teaching Timothy that Jesus is going to appear. He is coming again. Um, 2 Timothy 4.1 I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus the Messiah who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. There is a coming appearing of Jesus. There is a coming kingdom. You guys, finally, 2 Timothy 4, 8, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Titus 2, 13, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus the Messiah. Um, Hebrews 9. Uh, Therefore, it was necessary that the copies of the things in the heavens should be purified with these but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For the Messiah has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Not that he should offer himself often, as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood of another. He then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once, at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment, so the Messiah was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. Over and over and over and over and over and over again, the authors of the New Testament keep saying he is appearing. He is coming again. First <clears throat> Peter 5, 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of glory that does not fade away. First John 2, 28. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Guys, that's Paul, that's Peter, that's James, that's John, all of them saying, there is an appearing coming. (laughs) He is coming again. B. 
be looking for, be waiting for his appearing. Be ready. Seek his kingdom first. Let's pray. Father, I want to hear your voice when you say, fear not.